Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Standing up for the little guy for the greater good. This is The Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Emails to Roy at RoyGreenShow.com and follow me on Twitter at The Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. I just received an email I want to share with you. Elisa sends me this from Calgary. I'm an immigrant, been here 16 years. I was talking to my 14-year-old Canadian-born son about Vimy. He hardly knew anything. When I asked why, he casually answered, my school system failed in educating me about the history of my country. That says a lot writes Lisa, and you're absolutely correct. So the kids are interested. The kids are keenly interested, as Michael Shaba told us. But um, the school system, not so much. That's why we have provinces that don't make it mandatory to teach Canadian history. Four Canadian divisions fought together as one force for the first time at Vimy Ridge. There were thousands and thousands of dead and wounded. And Canada, after Vimy, needed more troops than volunteers could deliver, and so conscription began. And that proved to be a highly controversial move, which caused rioting in Montreal. As I pointed out to you last hour, they took Vimy Ridge Park, or Vimy Park in Montreal, in Outremont, that's part of Montreal, that runs alongside Vimy Boulevard, and decided what they do is rename it. They just didn't want a Vimy Park, Vimy Ridge Park. No, they wanted to rename it. So who could we name it after? Oh, we know. The lead separatist. So now it's called Jack Parizeau Park, or Park Jacques Parizeau. The former Parti Québécois leader and premier who wanted to dissolve Canada. Of course, Danny Coderre said that by uh, April 9th, 2017, there'd be new commemoration for Vimy Ridge in Montreal. I can't find anything. Mayor follows me on Twitter. I follow him. Mr. Mayor, Denny Monami, what have you done? What have you done for uh, the Vimy Ridge Memorial? What have you done? You don't have the park anymore. What have you done? So I was uh, scouting around online a couple of days ago, and I got onto our uh, website of our global Edmonton uh, television station, and I found a story that was written by news anchor Kent Morrison. So I was reading this story, and it's it's so fascinating because it's a really great insight into the life of one young man who fought for Canada at Vimy Ridge. He fought for Canada at Vimy Ridge, but he also fought for Canada before and after, and he made it. He also had a diary. The diary had an interesting story of its own. But Kent Morrison joins us on the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. And Kent, thank you for the time. And who was Private Fairholm before the war? 
Well, thanks for having me, Roy. Yeah, it, I, I love the beautifully said intro of, of Private Joseph Goldie Fairholm, who uh, quite the story written down in paper, but quite the story before and afterwards. And he was uh, he was a soldier uh, who enlisted here in Edmonton, but he, before he got to Edmonton, he he grew up in England and came to Alberta with his with his father and his extended family, as many families back then had quite a lot of brothers and sisters and stepbrothers and stepsisters and. He came to Edmonton uh, as, a, as a young man and actually enlisted in 1915 with his brother Bert and his father. They all three enlisted at the same time uh, here in Alberta, and all three of them survived the war, which wow. is incredible as well. That is incredible. Um, and yeah, yeah, incredible stuff. They all three, three enlisted. They came back at different times, but uh, uh, the story goes that he and his brother Bert uh, said they were 19 and 18, respectively, when they, uh, when they enlisted. Uh, uh, Goldie being the older, uh, but uh, as the story goes, they lied, as many people did back then. They were actually younger than they said they were. Uh, so by the time he was writing his diary overseas in 1917, the one that I've read, uh, he was only 20 years old, but already uh, a veteran of a couple years in the military. You're right about his duties at Vimy Region. He was a runner. How did he write about that? Well, it's, it's very interesting. He, you know, yeah, he, that was his his main main job was a runner. So he he was in the trenches, and and his job was to deliver messages. Of course, they didn't have radios really back then. So he was running in the in the trenches. And it, the story goes that his his stature would made him such a good runner because he was about five five. So he was short enough to be running through these trenches. And and uh, you know, he he's very candid in in his diary um, that begins on January first. Um, of 1917, there's there's some details in the sort of the uh, the uh, pages before the the first this diary. Each page is dedicated to one day in 1917, and and on that first day, January 1st, he writes about his resolutions, uh, in which he says, uh, "My resolutions are, are much different than they've been in years before. But number one is to kill as many Germans as I can, and number two, I've decided that." I'm going to make it home safely from doing my bit. And then the, in the pages that that follow that. You really get inside his mind, and and he there's there's days where he's pretty bitter. He's pretty honest about how things are going. He doesn't like um, being on the trenches or uh, the work parties that they had to do. He he doesn't like the politics inside the ranks as well. Um, and he you know he's he's pretty bitter. He talks about um, you know the the officers above him and how he you know disagrees with how the politics of that goes. And at one point, he's offered. Uh, stripes, he says, and and he writes in there. He says, "I refused because I, I don't like the way the you know things stack up. I don't like the added, um, I guess, uh, pressure that comes with that, and in the also the, the politics that comes with having these stripes. So I'm just going to remain the way I am." You know, Kent, it's amazing what as you're describing all of this and 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 what his experiences are and how he wrote about them. I have to remind myself that this was a teenager. Who by the time this diary was finished, or got to the level, the point where you saw it, um, he was only 20. That's right, yeah. Just a yeah, kid. He's, he's just a kid. He, I, you know, I was, I was barely in university when I was his age, and, and he's on uh, on the front lines of this war, writing in, in the trenches, and, and talking about, you know, he, he writes so eloquently, very brief sometimes, you know, sometimes it's only a line or two, there's sometimes uh, pages that go by without any, any posts, but, you know, he, he writes about uh, the gas. And it's sometimes it's it's the how casual he is about writing about this gas that really struck me. There's one day where he he writes and he's all he says is um, a new kind of gas came over today. It, it smells different, almost like uh, tropical. 
uh, but it still turns your stomach. All of us still got sick. Uh, another day where he writes later on in 1917 where he says, uh, the gas is, is tough today. Uh, I can scarcely scarcely talk. And it's, it's, it's such casual way of writing, but you think about what he's dealing with every single day. Um, it really, really strikes you. Did he write at all about the price uh, Canadians paid at Vimy? Because he was running the trenches, so he would have been just constantly exposed not only to fire from, from German troops, but he would have been exposed to his own troops being shot and killed or wounded. That had to be a constant, constant reality for him. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And and in these in these diaries, he, you come across these battles. Of course, he was at Vimy Ridge. He, he talks about, on this day, 100 years ago, he, he wrote in his diary, at 5.30, we began our movement onto Vimy Ridge. And he, he describes his... His role in, in that that day and April 10th um, in the summer in, in about July he writes about another time where they're they're under attack and and he talks about hearing a clank in that battle he, he's running and he hears a clank and he looks to his left and his right because you know you're, you're responsible for the guys beside you and he names the guy who he thinks it, it might have uh, it might have hit and then he has to keep going and it, it isn't until later he says that he looked back once they were away from the front line and he looked at his helmet and he said, that clank that I heard was a bullet hitting the rim of my helmet and an eighth of an inch lower. And it, he says, the sniper would have got me right between the eyes. <laughs> and he, he talks about that. He talks about, um, you know, other times he, he says, um, you know, I looked over the, the horizon at the other, the other trenches and I can see arms and legs of German soldiers going up in the air as our, our artillery um, answers their call from, from the morning. So you know, the, the Allied troops, um, their artillery answering the German fire and him seeing body parts uh, flying up in the air. So he talks about, he was in Passchendaele as well. He was Passchendaele as well. And he, he writes a, a very long and eloquent post uh, about Passchendaele. And at the end, he puts uh, an ellipsis. And, it's a, and this is the most, you know, most descriptive part. He says, it was hell, exclamation mark. And uh, he says, I will always remember the hell that was Passchendaele. So it's, it's remarkable to, to think of him away from the front lines after these grave and terrible days when thousands of lives are lost to be, to be writing his own thoughts down in a, in a tiny little diary that would fit inside his uniform. Yeah, so pencil, paper, tiny little diary, nothing complicated, nothing technologically advanced, paper, pencil, and that's it. And a hope that if anything happened to him, if he were killed, somebody would deliver the diary to his to his family. That's right. And in, in the very first page of, of the diary, it says, um, should any kind friend find this on the field of battle, please return to Jay Fairholm, who's his mother, and listen address here in Edmonton. And then at the very end, it says, thanks very much. So the diary itself had an interesting story, too. Yeah, that's right. It's it's very interesting to go through it because you um, you get insights of sort of to where he is, where he's been traveling throughout Europe. There's times where weeks go by without a post or just a single uh, line. Perhaps uh, it rained today, or um, we had a work party today, um, and it, it goes all the way into November, and then it stops, and um, it sort of disappears. And in, in fact, it did disappear. There's, it's a total mystery now. Goldie came back from the war uh, around 1918. Uh, he lived the rest of his life here in Alberta. Uh, he died. And his family never knew about this diary. And it wasn't until around the time that they began to, to mark the 100th anniversary of the war beginning 
that people around the world were thinking back to this war. And it was, it was as the story goes, uh, a guy in Wales who went up into his attic and his, his father had served in World War One and started going through um, his, his things, his wartime things. And he came across this diary that's still written in the front page, said, if this is found, please return to Mrs. J. Fairholme in Edmonton. And this gentleman in Wales looked up that address that the home isn't here anymore. It's an apartment building now. So he reached out to the local newspaper here for help to try and find um, someone who may be connected to this gentleman who somehow he had found this, this diary in his, in his father's thing. So that will forever remain a mystery, how that diary went from uh, the front lines in 1917 and disappeared for almost 100 years. Yeah. No one really knows what happened to it until it, it ends up in this uh, in this room in a house in Wales. But it, it gets back to Edmonton, and it gets uh, back to the family. It's now in the hands of Goldie Fairholme's uh, last surviving daughter, Isabel, who lives near Ottawa. She's now in her, her 90s. Um, but the digital copy of the uh, the diary, which, which I got... To to, to read, which is a real privilege to, to read, uh, got in the hands of a, of a digital archivist at UBC who specializes in taking these historical documents and digitizing them and, and so that they can exist on the Internet and be passed around to family. And it's, in fact, family. The, the lady who got that diary to digitize is Goldie Fairholme's great-great-niece. So she talked about this family connection she had to this historical piece that she's been able to share across the country and really kind of connected. She actually, after my story was was put online, she said, I got contacted by a second cousin of mine in Edmonton that I didn't even know was there. And we've already created another connection. So, uh, you know, 100 years after he was writing in this diary, 100 years ago today, he was writing about 530 in the morning beginning the approach on Vimy Ridge, it's starting to connect an extended family that still exists across the country. What an amazing, amazing story. And so this little diary has gone from being in his shirt pocket, probably, or somewhere in his pack. That's right. Uh, and uh, then it disappears for decades, and then it resurfaces, and now it's available to the entire world because you put the story on the Internet. That's right, yeah. And it, there's a military mu- uh, museum here in, um, in Edmonton who... It's helping. They have a copy of that docu- that uh, that diary as well. I was actually just at the ceremony here at City Hall in the Cenotaph, and they have actors who are uh, portraying different soldiers who are uh, being commemorated on this 100th anniversary. And Goldie Fairholme is one of them. So there's an actor downtown in Edmonton right now who is spreading his story, partly based by based on this diary, which we now can read because uh, his family members have. I've put it online, and yeah, if you, if you go to our, to our website, the article that I wrote, there's uh, I've posted about five or six of, of the uh, the pages of his of his diary, which is uh, it's pretty incredible to read. My, my favorite is actually March 21st of 1917, when it looks like he went back retrospectively, and he writes, "It was on the pages behind that we practiced our now famous victory at Vimy Ridge." So he wrote that perhaps, you know, in the days or weeks after Vimy Ridge, he went back and made a note that this is when we practiced, this is when we rehearsed that special victory. And that's exactly what they did. That, that's what led to their victory was six weeks of rehearsal and practice before they made that movement on, on Vimy Ridge. And he, he knew even then how important that victory was. And he went back and made sure that he marked it in his diary that, you know, this is what we were doing in these blank pages. There's about almost a month of blank pages. 
We went back and marked it. What an incredibly rich resource this little diary has proven to be. And your story, it really caught my attention. I was, I was just reading and I was getting more and more involved. I was actually getting emotional. I was, I, was, I was reading and thinking about this is just a kid. This is just a yeah. kid going through all of this. And he's so meticulous in his writing, as, as are you. Kent, thank you so much for, uh, for sharing this with us. Roy, thanks so much for having me. All the best. Kent Morrison from Global TV in Edmonton. You can find uh, Kent's story on the Global uh, Edmonton website. When we come back, we're going to talk to someone whose dad, dad is it, father? Somebody talk to me. The father, yes? Yes. Okay. We're going to talk to somebody whose father was at Remy Ridge. Stick around.